What's going on? Cox Talks Nation, we're back. The Cox Talks podcast is back after quite a bit of a little hiatus, actually. Not not going to lie. Um, I, I hope I've retained my listenership. I really do. But uh, listen, we were we were busy, busier than a three-peckered belly goat here on the farm with fall harvest. Started with soybean harvest and and wheat planting, and it moved into corn harvest. And of course, with corn harvest comes trucking availability. And I've just been so fucking busy that um, I've been neglecting my listenership out there, and I wasn't able to um, listen. I wasn't able to get a podcast kicked out. Lots of ideas. Lots of stuff flying around, so yeah, it's it. Fuck, it is what it is. But but you're here. We're back. I've got a I got a pretty good episode for you, actually. I think I took a different approach this time. Um, we've got a an educational and an informative episode coming up for you here, which is a little off off you know off direction for the Cox Talks podcast. Usually, you got fucking IQ oozing out of your ears because everything on this podcast is so goddamn smart. But listen, a um, couple things. So, 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 so something that I noticed during our, our little, my little break there, um, another price increase here in Canada on dairy products. And I jumped on Twitter where we're, and I read that the announcement was made, blah, blah, blah. And I started reading the fucking comments about that, that, that people are making. And these people, of course, are consumers of Canadian dairy products. And I was quite disheartened, quite uh, upset, really pissed off actually at how uneducated some consumers can be and how they don't understand exactly how the system works. So what I did was I went out and I found a fellow by the name of Bruce Sargent. Um, He's a strong advocate or in the agricultural sector, we like to call them ag advocates for just you know what the, the Canadian supply management system so on and so forth and he's he's an educated guy he's a smart guy um, he's he's very involved in the media he's very involved in the defense of our system uh, vocally so I thought I would get old Brucey boy on to discuss supply management so listen it might be a bore compared to usual. It might be a bore if this isn't uh, what you're into, but I urge you to listen to the whole thing. Stick around, listen to it. You're going to pick up some information that you didn't know, okay? And it, it may bring some clarity to you as a consumer as to why things are the way they are and as to why things are as expensive as they are on store-bought uh, dairy items and, you know, why the old, um, what do you call it? I don't know the myth. It's not really a myth. It's true. Why? Maybe why dairy products are cheaper south of the border than they are up here. We got a little little insight into that as well. So um, listen, as usual, uh, thanks again for sticking around. Thanks again for picking up the Cox Talks podcast. As usual, the housekeeping questions, comments, concerns, dilemmas. Please reach out to me on Instagram at the Cox Talks podcast on Instagram. I can also be found on Twitter at Trevor Dofsky. Um, also on TikTok at Trevor Dofsky. The Cox Talks has gone to TikTok as well. And of course, just on Facebook, look me up, Trevor Cox. And of course, as always, if you're one of the lucky few to have my personal contact information, get a hold of me there. I did put a, I did put a, a, um, 
advertisement, a post out, I guess, for topic ideas. And, and I did list them. I did take them seriously. Now that I got some more time on my hands, I'm hopefully going to get back into kicking out more podcasts. So, uh, yeah, we're on. We're back on the straight and narrow. The farming season has, has started to wind down. Um, it's well on its way to winding down for us. So I hope to get back to making these irregular things. And, uh, yeah. So listen, without further ado, let's bring in Bruce Sargent on the Cox Talks podcast. Okay, so here on the Cox Talks podcast, like I said earlier, I know we don't get too um, aggy on here. We don't talk a lot of, of agriculture stuff because, listen, I, I deal with agriculture every day, and this podcast gives me a little bit of a break. Having said that, um, supply management. We're going to talk supply management. We're going to talk about the quota system with dairy and or poultry farms here in Canada and I have reached out and got a hold of none other than Bruce Sargent. Bruce, welcome to the Cox Talks podcast. Thanks for the invite, Trevor. Happy to be here. Yeah, no problem. Listen, uh, why don't you just give the listeners, uh, tell them who you are, what you do, and uh, kind of where you came from. Sure. So uh, I've been working in marketing and communications for coming up on 12 years now. Um, grew up on a dairy farm. Got really interested in technology when I was in high school, did a lot of video production, uh, graphic design, web design, that sort of stuff. And uh, when I was finished high school, I decided to go to university for marketing management and at the time started my own business called Farm Boy Productions. So I recognized a need for these technologies with an agricultural lens and focus and uh, did really well building a business around that niche. So we do uh, video photography, live streaming, um, you know, communications, uh, just so pretty much everything, anything that someone wants me to do, I'll figure out how to do it for them. Um, and then obviously I am still involved in the, the family farm when I have time, which seems to be a little bit less uh, these days, just with th things being so busy. Uh, so we uh, have a dairy farm and an on-farm processing facility as well that we started in uh, 2021. Awesome. Awesome. So you've, you've been, uh, through doing all this and it seems like it's been heating up lately in the last couple of years, but you've been a strong advocate advocate, I guess I use the term advocate. Mm -hmm. Um, you can look that one up. That's, you know, anyways, um, for defending the supply management system and just basically the, um, oh, what would you call it? Um, how the consumer views us farmers here in, in Ontario and Canada, for that matter. You've done a fairly good job of that. So I've, I've been in the sphere, I guess, since, a, well, since I finished school, you know, when I was going through school, advocating was, you know, the big thing that we all needed to do. And, you know, I, I helped with events and I would go to the Royal and talk to people. And, and that kind of evolved into, I guess, a more formal role when, uh, he who will not be named decided to run for the conservative party leadership and really took a very um, misinformation angle on supply management. And so I spent the better part of four or five months um, pushing back to what he said and, you know, doing as much radio and uh, a couple TV hits as well. And, you know, wrote some op-eds and just did a, a, a quite a lot of media. And um, thankfully we were able to change the tune on that conversation and, and get our message out there. And it did end up impacting uh, how people voted because some of those really staunch conservative members that 
you know, knew the ideology of supply management, now had the facts behind it. And basically, once they had the facts, they decided that it wasn't the issue that needed to make that election. And so they changed their vote and shifted out their ways. So I've done a little bit since then. Um, you know, COVID has brought supply management out a couple of times, um, you know, when there were supply issues, you know, supply management got blamed, even though, you know, for all intents and purposes, the supply management commodities probably did better than some of the the open market commodities. And, you know, the issues that were happening in Canada were happening, you know, tenfold worse uh, in other countries. So, yeah, I do it a little bit, but it's also, um, it can be very taxing. So I, I don't do it maybe as much as I used to. Oh, it, uh, you get into some of those comments or conversations, they can be quite infuriating as a matter of fact, but okay. So for the average listener, I mean, mm -hmm. we've, we've, we've dropped the term supply management, uh, numerous times already. And I know that probably 95% of my people or my listeners out there, Cox talks nation, I like to call them. They think they know what supply management is, but maybe they need the breakdown of a Coles notes version. So Talk to us about exactly what supply management is and how the uh, Canadian dairy sector is connected to that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back 50 years, 55 years, I guess, about when it started. Um, so these commodities, uh, milk, eggs, turkey, chicken, were very volatile. Um, you know, the prices would go up for the farm and everybody would get into it. And then the prices would come back down and supply would plummet because nobody could afford to do it. So uh, milk and eggs specifically, you know, they're created daily and, um, you know, you can't just turn production on and off with a switch. Um, but basically 55 or so years ago, the agricultural leaders in Canada looked around the world and, and you know, were looking for solutions to this problem. And uh, so they chose to implement a, a quota system. So at the time, everyone that um, you know had chickens or dairy were given a certain amount of quota um, or a maximum maximum amount of production that they could have from their farm, and you know a lot of them it was probably a little bit less than what they were making, but there was oversupply at the time. So supply management came into effect, and there are three pillars that still exist to today. So there's the production quotas; you can only make as much as you have a license or the quota to produce. Um, import barriers, which all countries use. It's just Canada's get a lot of flack because of supply management. But you know, you can't you can't put a limit on your local production without limiting the amount of external production that can come in. Because the state of Wisconsin could replace all of Canada's dairy farmers tomorrow if they wanted to. And uh, and now I'm blanking on the third one. Um, production quotas tariffs and uh the store pricing so there's a uh, cost of production formula that takes the average of all of the producers that participate in the study and so the pricing is based on the cost of production for the average producer and so what that means is that you know the grocery store can't turn around in the summer and go oh well you know there's lower demand for milk so we're going to give you less money and the processor can't say, oh, well, we have too much milk, so we don't need yours today. Um, so we're going to give you less money. And that is what's happening in the States. In the States, you can be running your dairy farm for 20 years and the processor can show up tomorrow and say, hey, we have too much milk. Um, 
you know, we're going to give you, we're going to give you 10 cents less per liter than we were giving you yesterday. And in the States, the farmer goes, well, I have no choice. So I guess I have to take that up in Canada. We're all working together. So when there's production cuts, everybody takes the cut. When there's uh, increase, everybody shares in the increase. If, uh, if we do have prices go down, then yes, you will see the cost of production formula come down. But you know, the way things have been the past couple of years, everything's getting more expensive no matter what it is. So the price of milk goes up when inputs go up. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to, we're going to get into kind of the store, the, the, the shelf price in a few minutes here. <coughs> Pardon me. How does a Canadian farmer or, and this never happens anymore, but, or just, you know, John Doe down the street decides he wants to start milking cows. How does, how does a farmer uh, go about obtaining uh, quota in order to be able to milk cows and ship milk? So pretty much all of the supply management commodities have moved on to a like online um, exchange for purchasing quotas. So um, in dairy specifically, because that's what I know best, uh, if you wanted to expand your existing herd, you would have to put in a bid and um, and everyone that matches the price of what the quota costs will get a, a share of what's available. So, you know, if a, if a farm sells his entire herd and 100 units of quota go on the exchange and 100 people want it, then each person gets one unit of quota. Um, there are new entrant programs for people that don't have a farming family or an existing farm. So I think there's about 10 dairy farms per year in Ontario, at least, that, that start up with that system. So um, the Dairy Farmers of Ontario... Supply marketing or the marketing board will actually set aside uh, a certain amount of quota for new entrants so that there, if there are people that want to get into it, they're able to. Um, it is it is a lot tougher for someone, you know, with no background in it whatsoever to get into it purely just from a education standpoint. So a lot of the times we see the new entrant programs are being utilized by, um, you know, the next generation of dairy farmers that wants to you know, they grew up a uh, son of a farmer and wants to start their own operation. Um, so that's that's the the nuts and bolts of it is that you buy it off of the exchange uh, on a monthly basis. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to use that opportunity right there to take a shot at some people because that's just kind of what I do here. But you hear a lot of people in, in Canada, especially, and I mean, I don't want to start too big of a riff, but... Um, you hear a lot of people say, oh, uh, the dairy cartel, the dairy cartel, it's a license to print money. You're holding us all hostage. Well, you just stated about the the new entrant program. Okay. If it's such a dairy cartel, and I always say this to people, if it's such a cartel and it's such an easy, um, you know, free way to make money, there you go. There's your early entrant program. Sign up, buy yourself a farm, buy yourself a herd of cows and start shipping milk. If it's so easy to do, right? And we just, you know, the, our our money here in the dairy sector just grows on trees, right? So you don't have you to go. work like twelve hour days for no, it. No, you don't like have that, to right? work at all. No. So there's for, for the listeners out there that you know that feel that way. There's your opportunity. Sign up, register, get into that early entrant program, and then go buy a farm and and some cows, and you're set yeah. for the rest of your life, right? You're set. You're set. Exactly. Yep. It's that simple. So you you also kind of touched on it a little bit earlier too. Um, Pros and cons to yeah. supply management. 
what are they? Yeah, so uh, I mean, the obvious con is that um, it is uh, capital heavy to get into. You do need to, you know, purchase the land, the building, the animals, and the quota. Um, so yes, there is that cost. Um, but the the way that the banks look at it as, uh, especially in contrast to the states, is they know you're going to make X amount of money because you're shipping X amount of milk. And that money is predictable and steady. And, you know, it's not, um, it's not very risky because as long as you do a good job and milk your cows and take care of the farm, you're going to make a steady income. Um, so on the pros, that is the steady income. Um, farmers don't have to scramble each week or month to potentially find a new processor because you know their processor has found a cheaper person to buy milk from or in the in the instance of the states a lot of times uh the processor will vertically vertically integrate and they'll start their own farm operation so that they don't have to deal with so many um independent farmers so so yeah the biggest pro i would say is that um you know there is that working together um you know camaraderie that that comes from being a dairy farmer in ontario and um you know, there's the the benefits of, you know, organized transportation of milk and, um, you know, being able to manage supply when things happen, like lockdowns where restaurants don't operate for a couple of months and, you know, there's just less milk being needed on the market. Um, there's definitely some cons around the political whims of it, um, you know, when certain people you know, run for leadership or, um, you know, trade agreements come up, there's definitely some disadvantages to having that target on us as the only country in the world that has supply management. Um, so that's definitely something that we've seen a couple of times in the past few years. And, uh, and then, you know, when the, the compensation comes around from the government for having given away that quota, uh, you know, there's people that don't understand that that is a income cut to all of the farms in Canada that really does deserve to be compensated um, because that is a loss of income that is being given away so that um, other industries in Canada can benefit or are supposed to benefit. I don't think they necessarily always do from some of the trade agreements we've signed in the last couple of years. But yeah, I would say those are probably the big ones that I think of first. Yeah, absolutely. Like I've always kind of said, I'm not I'm not great with numbers. I'm not a very good businessman, to be honest with you. But in my in my opinion, you know, being able to invest your own money that you've made through your business back into your business for you know for future for for future uses or um, expansion of your business, it it protects your business. Like you said, you're you're guaranteed a paycheck um, month to month based on the money you invest back into your business. I, I, I just think that's good business. It's a, it's a strong, solid way to protect your own business. And it's also, it, it also helps protect the smaller family farm here in Canada. Um, let's talk about that a little bit, because mm -hmm. I know like you mentioned already, and I've mentioned that to people as well, that the state of Wisconsin produces enough fluid milk on its own to to um, supply Canada, not Ontario, not Quebec, 
not Prince Edward Island, all of Canada with milk. Okay. So this quota system also, like I said, it helps protect the smaller family farms, which are seem to be going by the wayside in the United States. Yes. Yeah, so the average herd size in the States is much larger than Canada. Um, you know, it's economies of scale. They have to be large in order to survive. Um, I think it's been, can't remember what the number is exactly, but it's been, you know, three years that they've been operating below the cost of production. So they're eating into their savings and, you know, taking on debt in order just to stay afloat and just to operate. So that's, that's not a life anybody should have to lead. And, um, and I have a lot of empathy for people in those situations, but the, just to go back a little bit, when you're talking about people, you know, that get offended that dairy farmers are making a steady income. I like to ask those people like, well, don't you have a employment contract? Like, don't you have a steady income? Like, do you, I throw this at the, the political people for the most part, but you know, the people that come against supply management, they want milk to be traded on the open market, like gasoline. And what that ends up doing is harming communities and harming farmers and harming cows. So if, uh, if, a political pundit, um, you know, makes a mistake on a TV show and, you know, that, that damages their reputation, you know, that's not, that's on one individual, but if, uh, you know, when there's a loss of income on the farm that impacts thousands of families. So I always say to these political people, like, well, then if you believe in the free market, then your income should be based off the free market as well. So there's going to be a, a stock exchange for political pundits. And, you know, when the value of you, all of you goes down because someone makes a mistake, then all of you are going to make less money. And it's not because you did anything wrong. It's just because you operate on the free market. And so, you know, you should take a hit if your industry takes a hit. Well, that doesn't make any sense. It's asinine. So, yes, the farmers are doing the work. They're spending the money. They're you know, investing their families and their livelihoods into this. And yes, they deserve to be compensated fairly and not traded, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis on the free market, like gasoline. And, and I said this in the spring when, um, you know, our, our good friend from uh, Dalhousie came after us once again, um, you know, because he doesn't agree with supply management. Cows are not a switch that we can turn off. Like my, my cows are still going to make milk tomorrow. And the day after that, and there still needs to be a home for that milk or it's a waste. So, so yes, we work together in supply management to supply the entire nation. Um, and it does work a lot better than the States because like we said, they're, you know, they're Wisconsin could replace all the dairy farms in Canada tomorrow if they wanted to. And uh, at the end of the day, the States actually dumps about uh, half a million liters of milk per day because they're overproducing. Wow. I'm sure that number fluctuates, but yeah. they, because of the open market system in the States, they make as much milk as they possibly can, which means that there's more than they actually need. And so they're dumping a significant amount of milk every single day. Yeah. And, you know, it happened on a weekend in COVID because, you know, plants were shut down and demand was so low for Canadian farmers. And, you know, there was a ton of outrage, that's happening on a daily basis in the States. Yeah. And, and one of the things I always kind of point to, too, is there's a big push right now, and I fully support it, of buy local, buy local, buy mm -hmm. local. Okay. And we'll get into that a little bit later on, too, with Sergeant Family Dairy Farms. Mm -hmm. But um, 
you know, I always kind of point this out to people too. Um, you got to look for the little blue cow and we will discuss the little blue cow, but the little blue cow basically symbolizes that the milk came from uh, either Ontario or Canada, right? Milk has a very short shelf life. So if back to the, but to the kind of the buy local thing, um, if you buy ice cream, cheese, yogurt, milk, whatever, with the little blue cow on it, you know, it came from Canada, Ontario, whatever. If it doesn't have that, that milk could have been in transport for up to three to four days, which lowers its shelf life. And it, to me, I want to buy something off the shelf that's as fresh as possible. You know, if our milk, for instance, gets picked up here in Uxbridge, goes to Cortha Dairy in Bob Cajun that same day, mm. it, it could be out on store shelves a day to two days later. Not in transport for three to four days from California, from Wisconsin, from New York, wherever. Man, that, that's, that speaks volumes to me as a consumer. It's just one of those commodities that we don't need to waste the fuel to bring it in from a day's drive away. Exactly. Why would you when there's when because of supply management, we have a fairly good spread of farms across the country. Like, yeah. so why why would we send our money to a different state and country when we could be supporting people around the corner? Well, it's and, and, and that's. That's something that I talk to consumers about all the time because, you know, they'll get offended because it says um, Saputo on the side of a carton of milk and the office is in Quebec and, you know, it's selling in Ontario. So they think their milk is coming from Quebec. Right. Yeah. No, it's it's just the corporate branding. Well, and back to the to the U.S. dumping, you know, was it what did you say half a million liters of milk? OK, so why should we as a nation, as as consumers why should we have to, you know, pick up the tab or pay the price because American farmers are overproducing? That's not our fault. Well, that that's not that's, our fault. That's the other thing I forgot to mention in the, in the explanation. So when supply management was started in Canada, a lot of the reason why we went that way was because Canada saw that the U.S. and other countries were using subsidies to artificially backstop the farmers and keep them afloat because they weren't getting the cost of production from the marketplace. So 50 years later, U.S. farmers still rely very heavily on subsidies in order to make a living. And so what that means is that the, the average consumer in the U.S. is paying for milk in their taxes. And then, yes, they're paying a little bit less than we are in the grocery store, but they're technically paying for it twice. So, yeah. so yes, if we are buying American milk in Canada... We're supporting that very inefficient system that doesn't benefit the farmers in any way, shape, or form. If you talk to the most farmers in the States, they don't want to have to rely on subsidies to stay afloat. It's a terrible way to live because depending on the political whims of the party in power, you may get more or less or nothing for your subsidies. So why not completely eliminate that headache and have the farmers actually make their income from the marketplace? That's that's something I always touch on too when I'm having these conversations with people is 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 the cost of milk or the cost of dairy yes is cheaper in the United States but they do pay for it twice because they are heavily subsidized. Now some people are going to come back and say, "Oh well, you farmers in Ontario here are subsidized." Well, not really. The only subsidy we really get is colored fuel, 
which I've explained on this podcast before, is all that is is they put a dye in the diesel fuel, um, and you don't pay the road tax on it. Mm-hmm. Construction companies get the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but in some places it might be the same for marine fuel. I, I I can't speak on that exactly, but um, that's really the only subsidy we get. Now there are government grants available for farmers, not just not just dairy farmers, chicken farmers, grain farmers, beef farmers, pig farmers, whatever. But those are typically grants that you have to apply for and you have to meet a certain criteria to get that handout. It's not just, oh, you 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 want a subsidy? Here you go. No, we have to apply for those and meet certain criterias. So I can tell you from firsthand experience, you have to take a course in order to qualify. You have to fill out reams of paperwork and divulge quite a lot of information about what your plans are. And then at most, it's a 30% cost share. It's not like you're getting 100% of whatever you are. And there's a limit to how much that 30% can go up to. So yeah, but if you think think about the other things that we pay more for in Canada, electricity, labor, Like when you start thinking about, you know, like there are most, well, about half of the states in the U.S. are don't get snow. Like we have to have more expensive buildings that have snow load and, you know, we have to heat um, our barns sometimes. And, you know, there's we, you know, can't pasture our animals or have them outside as much as they can in some states, you know, in the south where they are able to be out and basically only have a cover, you know, and not an entire barn to live in. So yeah, you pay a little bit more for milk in Canada, but our standards are higher. It's a different environment that we operate in. And at the end of the day, it's not so significant when you take the subsidies that they're paying in the States for their milk as well. Now, that's something I wanted to touch on too. You talked about the standards, the standard of, of mm-hmm. milk. Um, just just let, um, how do you put it? Dive in a little bit to how the quality of milk i.e. hormones. We're not allowed hormones in our milk here in Canada, whereas south of the border, I believe they are allowed hor- like h- hormones in their milk. Touch on that for us. So I, I don't like that to be the only leg that I stand on just because there there is a push in the States to eliminate that practice. But Fair yes, yep. they, are, they are allowed to use it in the States. We are not allowed to use it in Canada. And so it... it when it's used in the States is to increase milk production of the cow. Um, it doesn't, there's no ill health effects of it, but it just comes down to a, a choice of whether you want that or not. So uh, a milk in the States that's branded, you know, uh, uh, hormone free is almost identical to what it would be in Canada in terms of price. Um, so, so yeah, we're not allowed to use it. They can, there's a push to eliminate it. Um, but ultimately you, you don't know, cause there's no way to test for it. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, consumer pressure eventually will eventually eliminate it in the States, I would say. Um, but beyond that, because we are all working together in Canada and because we all are, um, on one team effectively, uh, we have programs that just can't exist in the States because, you know, each processor will have their own rules and limits and that sort of thing in Canada, there's one. So, um, you know, it started as pro action a number of years ago. So it mostly evolved around 
um, animal health and um, standards of living and, you know, mobility scores and that sort of stuff. ProAction has evolved into, you know, environmental standards and um, improving the environment. And, you know, now that has evolved into Dairy Farmers of Canada setting this goal to be net zero by 20, 20, what is it? 2050. I think that's the big number that everybody's reaching for. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something that we can do in Canada because we're all on the same team and we're all pushing in the same direction. Um, But, you know, there's, there's little things like um, the somatic cell count is the, is basically the health of the animal and the quality of the milk. Our limit is lower in Canada than it is in the States because we're like, that's something that the, the powers that be are very strict about and want us to constantly be pushing to to decrease and increase the quality. So all those things can happen in Canada because we're all supply managed and working together. And in the States, it's just very hodgepodgey because each processor makes their own rules, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And and kind of sticking with this theme, let's talk about antibiotics in milk. I mean, it, it's a very prevalent um, advertising, I'll call it a campaign in beef or pork or poultry, you know, antibiotic-free, antibiotic-free. There is no antibiotics. There are no antibiotics in Canadian milk. Tell the listeners why. Yeah, so this is something that always shocks people. Every single truckload of milk from every single farm every single day is tested for antibiotic residue. And uh, if if we have a cow that's sick, we want to give her antibiotics to make her feel better. Her milk will get quarantined and dumped until the withdrawal period is over. And if we accidentally milk that cow and it contaminates the tank, we dump that tank. Right. And trust me, it's the worst feeling in the world because I did it once when I was in high school, accidentally yeah. milked a cow, ended up being that it was fine and the test came back negative, but it, the test came back after the milk would have been picked up. Right. And we had already yeah. we had already dumped the the tank just out of pure caution yeah. because it if happens. if our yep. if our tank mixes with the transportation truck that has you know five other farms on it, we would actually have to pay for that entire truckload of milk. Right. So I want to I want to be clear there too. So so we can sample our own milk and that's fine. We can catch it. Um, there are newer tests available now. You can have your results uh, with, within minutes. We yeah. Listen, we've had to do it. I'm sure every dairy farmer out there has had to do it. It it happens, okay? But when the milk truck comes to pick up milk on Canadian dairy farms, the milk truck takes his own sample to be tested. So if they get to the processor and they find that that truckload of milk is contaminated, they can test every single sample from, you know, if the farm, if the milk truck picked up at 12 different farms, he's got 12 samples. They can go through those samples and they can pinpoint the exact farm that it came from. And it's like you said, the farmer that contaminated the truckload of milk is on the hook for the cost of that truckload of milk. And so essentially it, it does not happen because it's right. just yeah. far too costly to have that mistake. Like, like yeah. I said, we, we dumped a tank rather than have that mistake potentially happen. And and that's what people will do. Yep. So, so yeah, we, we use antibiotics in our animals because we want to make sure that we're taking care of them. And a lot of times, you know, we will take other remedies if we can, but more often than not, if you're sick, you need antibiotics to feel better. So the cow needs that. The milk gets quarantined. It doesn't go into the milking line with the rest of the milk. And so there is absolutely zero antibiotics in the milk that you're consuming from the grocery store. 
And I think that's funny too, is that you, you did mention it there. People don't understand why we use antibiotics on animals. Well, animals are our livelihoods. That's how we make our money. You can agree with that or you can disagree with that. But if your child is sick, you give your child antibiotics. If your child has an ear infection or strep throat or whatever, bronchitis, they get antibiotics to get better. Why would we not treat a living animal, a living creature, whether we make money off that animal or not? Why would we be as so inhumane as to just, you know, let that infection get worse and and have the living creature die? It doesn't make any sense to me why people cannot get their heads around that. I think a lot of people hear in the news that, you know, we have antibiotic resistance and, you know, there's usage of antibiotics in, in livestock production and, you know, that needs to decrease. But I think when they hear that, they think that we're just preventatively giving everybody antibiotics and that's just not the case. Yeah, it's 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 like the... The, the thought out there that we're all overusing fertilizers, okay? It's like, yeah, it's like exactly. our, our friend, and, and I don't know if you've ever met him before, but Quick Dick McDick from Saskatchewan there. Yeah. You know, he makes it, the, 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 the people out there seem to think like we're just out, you know, having fertilizer fights with each yeah. other and not understanding how much that fertilizer costs, right? We don't use any more than we have to because it costs an astronomical amount of money and people just can't seem to understand that. But anyways, let's get into, let's kind of get into the, the little bit of the consumer talk here. Mm -hmm. um, the little blue cow, I mentioned mm -hmm. it earlier. What is the little blue cow? So the little blue cow is a logo that was created by dairy farmers of Canada in order to uh, brand products that are certified 100% Canadian dairy. Um, so it, it probably came from, you know, the trade agreements that have eroded the Canadian dairy's ability to supply our own market. I think we're about, I think we've given away 18% of our market to foreign companies or foreign countries at this point. So if you see a little blue cow, it's as simple as that on any dairy product, it means that it has been certified hundred percent Canadian. Um, so, you know, some companies will you know, use 50% Canadian milk and then they'll, you know, fulfill an import quota and use 50% American milk. They won't be able to use that logo and it has to be consistent. It can't be, you know, one week it is and one week it isn't. They have to consistently use Canadian dairy. So that means for the most part that that milk is coming from the closest farm possible to that processor. Right. So off the top of your head, um, and I mean, you, you'd be mm. better at this than I am off the top of your head. What are some of the brands um, that you can buy that you know are not only maybe 100% Canadian, but 100% Ontario milk? So I think the easiest one is definitely Gailey, because um, that's a yep. cooperative of dairy farmers that owns that one. So so we 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 can have trust that they're um, you know not sneaking in American milk. <laughs> um, I think the next big one is probably Natrell. Um, and I'm trying to think of other ones off the top of my head. Uh, Corth the Dairy. A, yeah, Corth the Dairy. For here yep. in Ontario. Absolutely. Yep. Um, yeah, I haven't. It's something that I like. I, I absolutely look for it when I'm buying it, but I don't necessarily think about the brand every time. Correct. Um, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, but they're like, they're out there. You just have to spend a little yep. bit of extra time looking for it. And it's really not a lot of work. Instead People sometimes just, say. 
instead of just throwing that pound of butter in the shopping cart, just yeah. just rotate the rotate the packaging and see. Look for the little blue. Ca- it is very eye catching, actually. Yeah. It's especially say on a Gay Lee package, which is typically that um, off yellow and red. Mm-hmm. So a little blue cow really jumps out on you as it as it's matched in with those colors. I, right? I guess we should say too, it's, it can sometimes be black in a, okay. uh, you know in a two in a two tone um, print label. So yeah, it's but it's a little cow and it says 100% Canadian milk on it. So yeah. it, it's really not hard to find if you just apply a tiny bit of effort. Right now, sticking with the consumer talk. Um, let's let's get into the inflation here a little bit there's been some talk i think uh we were talking off air i think about two weeks ago there there was an 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 announcement that there is another rise in cost for dairy products and the the consumers aren't happy about it now we did touch on why milk is cheaper in the united states okay um one and I and I did this to myself and it enraged me and I had to stop. I I cycled through Twitter and I was reading some of the comments after this announcement and one of the comments that really cheesed me off. <laughs> get it? Cheesed me off. Um, one of those comments and this is why I kind of got a hold of you to bring you on is somebody made the comment, "Oh, typical Canadian farmers gouging their consumers." Let's talk a little bit about why the price of, of dairy products is rising. And then I want to kind of get into how much, because I believe it's only about 1.7 cents and that's rounded up because it's like 1.64 or something like that. 1.66. Let's talk about how much the Canadian dairy producer actually makes off, let's say a $2 increase on the shelves. And sorry, sorry to cut you off. Yeah. Let's talk about how the farmers do not set store prices. Yeah. We are not responsible for store prices. So pricing is an incredibly complicated topic, and I had an entire class on it in university. Um, So a couple things. First of all, when the... Canadian Dairy Commission does its study and finds that, you know, cost of production has increased. And so there needs to be an increase in the the payment to the farmers. They have to announce that months in advance. They have to share their data supporting the decision. There's actually a panel of people that make the decision. It's not just, and it's not dairy farmers. It's people from the CDC and, you know, other board members. Um, so announced months in advance made very publicly and we get absolutely lashed in the media every single time that it happens. And I had to hold back an F word there. Um, but you can swear. Can you, (laughs) can you tell me any other commodity, any other supplier, any other corporation that does that? No. No, I cannot. No. So, so if, you know, a fairly big family that comes from the West, um, you know, increases the price of their many goods that they sell in the grocery store. They don't announce it. They just do it. And and more often than not, they use shrinkflation. So they'll make the package smaller and leave the price the same. Mm. Right? There's lots of things that happen in the grocery store. It happens yeah. with bake, bacon all the time. Price of bacon stays the same, less bacon in the package. So yes, 
guess what? When you're paying more money for fuel and feed and absolutely every input that is coming on farm and you have a carbon tax that's driving up the price of everything and you have a 30% tariff on fertilizer because we think that we're going to take down Putin by doing that. So when you drive up the cost of absolutely every input, yes, you have to pay more for your food. And and it, it's, I think just recently they announced uh, they've passed a law that the carbon tax is going to come off of farm fuel, which is a great decision and should have been put in from the outset. That's a lovely idea, but it's it's too late. The farmers have already taken on that cost. So yes, the price of milk is going up. It's not something that we want to do. It actually does lead to a decrease in consumption every time that we do it. But ultimately, we can't operate our farms at a loss. And so we need to have this increase. And we're only doing it because we absolutely have to. Yeah. And it, it's like you said, and, and pe- people don't realize, and again, we spoke off air about this, but you know, the cost is going up from everywhere from getting the milk into the store to growing the feed that we feed our cattle to produce milk right down the ladder the cost of everything has doubled tripled in some cases quadrupled and the farmers eat that cost because like i said 1.7 cents per liter i believe is the number that we actually see so if milk goes up two bucks we see 1.7 cent raise that doesn't even cover the cost of the fuel increase that I'm paying to plant corn, to plant grain, to plant hay, it it doesn't even it doesn't even touch. It doesn't even make a dent. So, so not only is this price increase coming after you've already lost money for a period of time, so it's it's literally just catching up to what you've already lost for a couple of months. So you're you're somewhere more in the middle, but at the same time, there the grocery stores and the processors will take this opportunity to increase the price as well. So yeah, you may see a bigger jump at the grocery store, but the farmer is only getting that 1.7 cent or whatever you said. Um, so yeah, we don't control store prices. And there so to get into the the actual income from the farm, you know, from what you see in the store, um, fluid milk is the most um, profitable commodity that would come from milk. Um, so I think I think the number now would be around a dollar ten per liter of fluid milk is going back to the farmer. Um, when 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 you think about uh, I can't remember what the scale is exactly, but it goes you know fluid milk, um, cheese, ice cream, butter. You know as you work down that list, the the return decreases slightly. So we're not making the same amount off of, you know, a liter of milk going into ice cream as we are making off of a liter of milk going into a carton for you to consume. So there is a bit of a step down as, as that works our way through. Um, but yeah, the, 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 yes, there has been decreases in the amount of fluid milk consumption, but there's actually been increases in um, demand for cheese and butter. So, you know, it, it kind of, ebbs and flows as consumer demand changes as well. Now that brings me up to something that I totally forgot about. And we spoke about our, our friend from Dalhousie university earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, is your butter staying harder longer? 
Yeah, uh, it's not actually. Um, go figure. So that's actually a really great story of the media mishandling a situation. So yeah, let's talk. It about would have it, it would have been uh, end of winter, twenty twenty one. Well, and sorry, sorry to cut you off, yeah, but I mean, so this this whole story about about our butter staying harder longer really mm -hmm. surfaced via Twitter, more or mm -hmm. less, um, in February. Exactly. The coldest yeah. month in Ontario. And and I know the story kind of went nationwide, but February is typically the coldest month you can have in Ontario. I can't really say for the, the, the prairie provinces. I mean, it's cold there all the time, right? But butter staying harder longer in the dead of winter is just common sense to me. But... But a negative story surfaced out of this. So yeah, let's let's get into it. So it was actually as a woman that wrote for CBC in in you know cooking and health and lifestyle had thrown it out to the Twitterverse. Hey, is your milk harder than normal, or your butter harder than normal? And um, a gentleman from the East Coast decided to hop on this and label it Buttergate, and um, and it was obviously because. You know, us Canadian dairy farmers were having um, such a hard time under supply management. Please catch the sarcasm in my voice here that we had to use palm oil to supplement our butterfat production just so that we can make a living in this terrible system. And so it was the palm oil that the cows were eating that was, you know, getting into the butter and therefore changing the consistency and making the butter harder. So I think it was in the news cycle for two or three weeks. And it had a huge impact on the consumer's perception of dairy farmers and butter sales. And um, Dairy Farmers of Canada stepped in and went, okay, like here's, here's the deal. So yes, some farms were using a palm oil additive in their feed. And it, it was very common. Well, it was being used because it had a one-to-one -one ratio. So for every one gram that you put in the feed, you were getting one gram of butter fat increase in the milk production right. whereas a lot of other feed additives you know it's not that efficient so yes it was being used but the only reason it was being used was because it was a byproduct from pastry and cookie production for consumers so it was coming up into canada from tropical nations it was being used for you know your breads your pasta your cookies and then the leftovers were being recycled by some feed companies and added into feed. And so, yes, it was happening. So Dairy Farmers of Canada comes out and says, okay, we're going to voluntarily ask for people to stop using it if they're able to. And we're going to study it and we're going to employ researchers and we're going we're gonna to get to the bottom of this. So they spent a couple months in the summer. I think University of Guelph did some of the research and I'm sure other labs did as well. So they tested the consistency of butter. Lo and behold, after all of that damage, the research comes back and says there is no evidence whatsoever to support the claim that palm oil is making butter harder. So Dairy Farmers of Canada gets their ducks in a row and people like me are told, you know, that it's going to hit the media again because we've got the study and it proves that it was false not a single news outlet carried it. So yeah. after weeks of damage and weeks of hits from people going on and attacking us and using it as a way to 
you know, attack supply management and be critical of our system, the actual truth did not get any news coverage. No, never does. Never does. And it's funny, you know, as I, I kind of sit here listening to that. So whether it's, it's palm oil or GMOs. Okay. And this is a rabbit hole. We really don't need to get down, go down, but there's something people need to understand is that, and I'll, and I'll stick with palm oil. It's a very, it's like you stated, it's a very efficient additive. Okay. Mm. Right now, 2% of the world is trying to feed 98% of the world. So we need to find ways as producers to be more efficient. Okay. Because they don't manufacture farmland anymore. Okay. They, they, they never did manufacture farmland, but you know what I mean? If the percentage of people feeding the world is going down and the, and the percentage of people needing, needing food in this world is going up, we need to find ways to be more efficient to feed the world. And this is what people fail to understand is we found something that made us more efficient in our production mm -hmm. and we were slammed for it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make it just it baffles me the way the media controls the narrative, not only in this nation, but in in this continent. I'll, I'll go as far and say it just it baffles me and it baffles me that the general public just swallows everything the media feeds them instead of coming and talking to the farmers and finding out what's up. Well, and, and so that's maybe this is where we get into it. But I was working in our store the summer of Buttergate and someone mentioned that, you know, they weren't eating butter because of, you know, dairy farmers using palm oil. And uh, and I had a really great conversation with the family and was able to explain, you know, the motives behind the individual who started the story and how, you know, it wasn't truthful. And so they walked away having felt a lot more comfortable than, you know, they did coming into it. But you know, unfortunately, not everybody has that opportunity. But I mean, ultimately, we need to be, regardless of the source, you need to be critical of the information that you're hearing. And you need to do a little bit of your own research, or at least think about, you know, what motives could be behind that. Because yes, the farms do need to, you know, have a positive balance sheet in order to operate. But at the end of the day, our families are having the exact same products that you are. My yep. dad says this all the time, like he's not going to do anything to the cows or to the milk that is going to make him uncomfortable giving that milk to my family first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My, my dad says the same thing, you know, if um, back to, you know, withholding um, milk from the tank, quarantining that milk, we'll call it. If we have a cow with a high somatic cell count, maybe we haven't treated her with antibiotics but we will still quarantine her milk until we can get her straightened out because mm -hmm. I don't want that milk on my cereal. Mm -hmm. Neither does my dad. Neither does my brother. I don't want it in my coffee. Right. It's people fail to understand that, that, that not only do we have the best interests of our consumers in mind, but we're looking after our families first and you nailed it right there. As a dairy farmer, I don't want to do anything that would make me uncomfortable consuming my own product, mm -hmm. let alone giving it to the consumers. Not not really interested in that. So you touched on it. Let's get into it. There has been a few plugs of Sargent Family Dairy Farms on this podcast. Your brother, uh, Dan, 
was nice enough one night to drop me off some chocolate milk. I love chocolate milk <laughs> and a bag of cheese curds. And let me tell you now, Dan and I, when he dropped them off, we had a discussion about the squeakiness of mm -hmm. cheese curds, but I want to go out on, on, on a, a different direction here. And did you know how good cheese curds are for curing hangovers? I did not know that. There's nothing I love more because <laughs> I'm a bit of a fat fuck and getting hung over and just sitting on the couch with a bag of cheese curds and dummying them. And I don't know, it, it, it seems to cure my hangovers. I, I wanted to get that out there, but talk to us about Sergeant family dairy farms. Um, like I, you guys were just as a smaller family farm, uh, milk Jersey cows, I believe. Yep. And you know, big family, you guys come from a big family. You needed to find a way to expand and in a roundabout way, feed more mouths. You needed yeah. to come up with a way. So talk to us about what you did and talk to us about Sergeant Family Dairy Farms. Yeah, so the whole on-farm processing trend in Ontario started about 15 years ago, I would say. So some rules changed and became a little bit more accessible for farm operations to build processing facilities and get a milk license and process their own milk. So um, we've been talking about it Oh, for a number of years, probably since about 2016 or so, um, as a way to expand the farm without having to uh, wait for the quota to become available, because it takes a long time to acquire, you know, a significant amount of quota to grow a farm operation. So um, it would have been, would have been early 2019 when, um, we had all sat down and um, the bulk of my siblings were done school or at least, you know, towards the end of their educational career. And uh, we we all decided that, yes, this did make the most sense to uh, to move ahead with. Um, so we spent most of 2019 doing research and visiting a couple operations and, you know, working on the business plan and branding and getting the, the bank all sorted and, you um, it would have been January 2020 that my dad took the building plans to the uh, municipal office for the building permit. And um, we got our last uh, inspection for the land during the first COVID shutdown. Um, but we were allowed to continue because uh, we were food production, so it was deemed essential. So um, the building went up pretty quickly because uh, our suppliers didn't really have much else to work on because of the the closures and um we the building was probably closed in and you know the interior work started in um early january 2021 and then uh we passed our inspections in may and uh we opened the public the first weekend of june and uh yeah so when we were looking at it um building a new barn would have actually cost more money um, because, uh, you know, you don't build a barn for the number of cows that you have at the moment. Um, and it ultimately would have made the same amount of money, uh, like the same income on a monthly basis. Um, so there would have been a bigger debt load. There would have been a little bit of savings, you know, on efficiencies and labors that, you know, would have been beneficial. But there would have been a much greater cost and no new income to support it. So the dairy made a lot of sense, you know, we're in an area where there isn't um, any 
or very much competition. Um, you know, there is a really strong buy local farm gate operation support in, in Durham. And, um, you know, my marketing and business background really helped develop our brand and our logos and our print materials. So, uh, yeah, we, we opened up in June with our, um, our whole milk, chocolate milk, and cheese curds. And since then, we've gotten into a few different flavors. And, you know, Melissa's doing some different cheese uh, curd flavors. And, um, yeah, we've we've been doing a little bit of butter as well when we make our 2% milk. So it's uh, it's been it's been difficult. Um, there's no denying that it it would have been a lot easier had COVID not gotten in the way. But um, yeah. but COVID really did. I honestly thought my dad was going to pull the plug when COVID hit. I thought it would be too risky for him to take it on with the uncertainty that was happening in the world. But um, I was actually in Guelph when the, the first COVID lockdown kicked in and I went home to the farm because, uh, you know, I was going to help out there more with my work being slower. And I was fully expecting him to go, you know what, we're just going to wait and see. We're going to give it a couple months, you know, see how things settle out. And uh, and I got home and he said, full steam ahead. We need it more now than ever. Yeah. And, uh, and and he was completely right. So, yeah, it was it was a lot more challenging getting going in COVID. And we really had a lot of supply chain issues uh, the summer of um, 2021. You know, it was just it was hard to get things different things at different times. So it was always a constant, you know, race to get stuff on time to, you know, meet production. So I'd say we're we're in a better spot now. And we've actually already upgraded two pieces of equipment in the plant just to make things more efficient now that we have the income to support it. So, yeah, it, it anyone that has done this says, you know, it takes three years to really be comfortable and have the have the demand and have people know, you know, what you offer. So we're a year and a half in and we're, we're doing all right, but we definitely have some more learning and some more, uh, just getting more comfortable with what we're doing before, you know, we're kind of in our stride. Yeah, for sure. So you, you mentioned it, cheese curds, chocolate milk, uh, regular milk, yep. you, you dabble with butter. Yep. And Melissa did a flavor of the month each each month this summer, um, which was pretty neat because uh, it, it brought people coming back to try whatever the flavor of the month was. Um, we did a, an eggnog last Christmas that was so popular that we had to do more after Christmas because people wanted it for New Year's. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, Melissa, Melissa had heard that from other processors that, you know, there really wasn't much demand for eggnog after Christmas Day. And, um, and so we sold out, I think the day before Christmas Eve. And, uh, I told the girl working in the store to take a list of people coming in and asking for eggnog. So I think we had like 400 names on that list from it, from a, wow. a couple of days. So, or at least 400 bottles wanted. So yeah, we, we made an additional 600 liters and it all sold. So yeah, so it's, it's back just now, actually, Melissa made it yesterday. So there've been a few um early people in to get it and i'm sure i'm sure this weekend the store will be very busy at the at the dairy with people grabbing it right on so uh locally here in ontario and believe it or not i have listeners nationwide so this is exclusive mm. to ontario <laughs> um where what stores locally here in ontario can can sergeant family dairy farms products be be found so it's very condensed around the Durham region. Um, we go into Peterborough a little bit. There's a uh, Kortha butter tart and um, Starfa feeds like the feed feed co-op covers takes it. 
um, in your neck of the woods, we have uh, Trading Post and okay, yeah. um, White Feather Farms. And then in Bowmanville, um, our actual, our feed mill that supplies us feed for the cows, uh, Welcome Feeds carries our stuff. Um, we do have a online provider called Grace and Gather that does home delivery. Um, and they, they do a fair bit of the GTA. And if they don't deliver to your home, they might deliver to a hub nearby that you can pick it up. Okay. Um, but they actually, they have a restaurant from Niagara Falls that takes about 30 liters of our milk per week. All right on. So, yeah. But we we have really only focused on independent and family-owned operations. We're not really interested in, you know, the big box stores. Um, right. Yeah. Just because they they take way too much of a margin. And and honestly, those those aren't the businesses that we want to be in. Like, we want to yeah. support businesses like ourselves and... Yeah, as much as possible, we want people to come out to the farm and see where the milk comes from and buy it from our little store and check out the the viewing windows to see the processing area. And Right on. Yeah, yeah and that was going to be my next question. And you guys have an on-farm store as well. Uh, yep. throw, throw the address out there and, and yeah. Yeah, what they can expect when they come to the on-farm store. So they're open every day but Tuesday because that's when they do deliveries. Um, but the, the processing facility is at 8734 Old Scugog Road. So it, you'll see the barn when you pull into the laneway, but we we put the facility on um, across the road because uh, it was kind of underutilized land and it is where we do want to build our, our next barn. Um, so it's kind of planning for the future and getting things set up over there. Perfect. Right on. Well, listen, uh, we're, we're going to wrap it up there. Um, mm -hmm. It's been a, it's been a pretty educational piece, I think, which is, like I said, it's a little bit, different from what my listeners are used to but i think it was very informative i and and i think a lot of people are gonna are gonna take a lot out of this little interview so so thank you very much bruce for your time and uh like i said i couldn't have picked a better guy to just kind of discuss supply management and and what's going on with that in canada today so thanks a lot yeah no problem i'm happy to have these conversations and um i'm happy to hear that people are at least interested in hearing it straight from us and not from uh people with you know other motivations so always happy to weigh in on these things absolutely well once again bruce Sargent, and uh thanks a lot uh thanks for coming bruce my pleasure so there you go folks now you've got an insight as to why your milk costs so much on store shelves how good your milk is and just you know a little a little insight into the canadian dairy production sector um listen that that that's not our usual approach to the Cox Talks podcast here. That was more informative. That was more educational. That was a little bit more, you kind of had to use your fucking brain when you listen to this episode, as opposed to the other ones where you shut your brain off and you hit yourself over the head with a frying pan and you dive into the Cox Talks podcast. That's just the way she fucking goes most of the time. But that was something that I just felt as a dairy farmer, as a dairy producer, as somebody who is responsible for for putting food on the shelves of stores across Canada. A lot of times the farmers take the flack and I'm just a little bit sick and tired of it. You know, I'm sick and tired of of people trying to control the narrative that have no skin in the game. I'm sick and tired of people trying to control the narrative that have that have no fucking education towards what they're discussing in the very least. And I thought, you know what? 
it's a little part that I can do to help get some education out there. If it reaches 500 people, it reaches 500 people. If it reaches 25 people, it reaches 25 people. But at least I know I kind of helped in getting 25 of those people to understand why they're paying more for their milk, understand what us dairy farmers have to go through, and understanding that Canada has the highest quality milk in the world, period, which is another reason why you have to pay a little bit extra for it. But listen, um, as I said earlier, the Cox Talks podcast, we're back. We're back in the saddle. Stick around. There's more great episodes to come. And uh, listen, don't forget the most important thing about the Cox Talks podcast Tell your friends. Tell your fucking friends about the Cox Talks podcast. Thanks for listening. Soundstripe.